There are many reasons we want to get on a plane, and right now there's one big reason holding us back. The conversation this episode shows the difficult balancing act industries are facing to return to business. There are investments being made in equipment, new policies and procedures have come into play to keep people safe. When you get into the details, things can get incredibly complicated. The airline industry is intertwined all across the globe, but different regions are approaching the pandemic differently. Airlines that connect these regions need to understand the various approaches, but also make sure that passengers understand and abide by them too. Our guest this episode is confident that air travel can be done safely and that people's nomadic spirit and desire to connect with friends and family will lead leisure travel to be the first segment to recover. Duncan Bureau, Senior Vice President of Sales and Distribution at Etihad Airways, joins us to talk about the challenges the industry is facing, how the industry is meeting those challenges, and ultimately, what it will take to get us back in the air. I'm Michael Bassett, and welcome to Bright Future. My guest this episode is Duncan Bureau, a well-known and respected figure in the aviation industry with over 25 years experience in airlines in Canada and around the world. Duncan has been the president of Air Canada Rouge, the low-cost subsidiary of Air Canada, and he also spent 10 years at WestJet. He's currently the senior vice president, global sales and distribution at Etihad Aviation Group. He is, in short, someone with vast experience in the airlines industry in Canada and around the world. Duncan, welcome to Bright Future. It's really great to be here, and I appreciate you including me in your show, and I'm looking forward to our discussion today. As an airplanes guy, what has your experience of the pandemic been? My first experience is I haven't been on an airplane in months, and that's something new for me. I'm typically on an airplane almost every week. I have not been in the air for a number of months, and I certainly am looking forward to boarding an aircraft. I'm one of those airplane geeks that still loves the experience of going to the airport, getting on an airplane. And although I've been on thousands of flights, literally, I always get excited when I go to the airport. I do miss that. In terms of an airline guy relative to the impact of the pandemic, obviously, I work in aviation on a daily basis and just seeing what's going on in the industry globally, where you have up to 90% of the world's fleet sitting on the ground, it's disproportionately hit our industry and something that is having a global impact and a massive one economically around the world. Why do you think it's so important that we get airlines moving and people flying again? I would say there's really five reasons. One is economic development. Airlines contribute to the global GDP. If airlines as an industry, the entire industry was measured as a country, we'd be the 19th largest GDP in the world. It is a massive impact globally. Cultural exchange is another important reason why it's important for airlines to get up and running as quickly as possible. Obviously, education, tourism, and the humanitarian efforts of airlines. And we here in the UAE, a great example, you know, we're flying humanitarian operations, moving cargo, PPE equipment. And that is something that the UAE government is extremely proud of, is their responsibility in the world to move important humanitarian equipment, water, medical equipment generators in order to support countries that don't have that infrastructure or financial capability. Airlines contribute to a number of different things. Obviously, visiting family and relatives, sitting at home for three months. I know for one that I want to get on an airplane as soon as possible to visit my daughter in Canada. Those are things that we all feel. Aviation has made the world a lot smaller place. 
It has. The world in the pandemic feels super constricted, whereas before the world was your oyster in terms of you could almost think about going anywhere. Right. It is such a difference. Nevertheless, it really feels like it will still take some time before we get back to some kind of normal. There's discussion that in order to help airlines and to make sure that there still are airlines as we get into the recovery, that government may step in and provide some kind of support for the industry. What are you looking for, either in Canada or around the world? I think the government's response globally relative to aviation is pretty important. And again, I go back to the part where economic development, cultural exchange, these are all important things for governments around the world. The fact that we are moving goods and services, that we are moving capital around the world, we're moving thought leadership around the world, these are all benefits to every government. Tourism is a perfect example. Tourism is a major contributor to the Canadian economy. There are thousands and thousands of jobs attached to the tourism sector. Across the world, there's close to 20 million jobs directly related to tourism. Airlines contribute a significant amount to that. Here in Abu Dhabi, every dollar that we generate here at Etihad contributes three to the Abu Dhabi economy. And so again, we're a big multiplier relative to the overall performance of the economy here in the UAE and in Abu Dhabi in particular. From a government perspective, what we're looking for is some kind of view and vision over the long term. Again, airlines contribute massively to any country's GDP. They contribute in terms of movement of people, resources. When I think of government's roles and responsibilities, the fact is isolating countries without lift creates all kinds of new problems. The fact is with lift, comes investment. There's many, many examples of communities that have had new lift introduced, even housing prices. There's a great book called The Southwest Effect, and it talks about what happens when Southwest goes into a particular market and how it drives the economy of that community. Companies invest in communities where there's lift. The same is true at a, at a, at a country level. If you think about how we drive the economy and how we contribute to investment, it's important for governments to realize the importance of the industry. Unnecessary regulatory requirements, burdens of tax on airlines and airports for airports that have already been paid for over and over again is not helpful. And so I think some governments around the world look at aviation as a tax grab and that there's no price elasticity in airline pricing, which is in fact not true. What I would say here in the UAE, the government sees the importance of Etihad, has invested in Etihad as a contributor to the economy and not an opportunity to generate huge amounts of cash from a tax perspective. The benefit to the country comes from the amount of tourists, economic development, and again, the investment from companies investing in the country and in the city here in Abu Dhabi because there is great lift and access to markets. You understand the Canadian market very well from all of your experience here. What's the approach in the Canadian market? I think that the government there really needs to rethink the importance of aviation. Both Air Canada and WestJet are reaching out for the Canadian government to open the borders and remove very restrictive travel hurdles for consumers. And again, I think they're absolutely right. Air travel is safe. There has been huge investment in terms of how airlines will manage passengers on board the aircraft through the airport and then obviously to their final destination. I think it's important for the Trudeau government to make a huge investment in aviation. That investment really comes in the form of relaxing some of the travel restrictions and visa requirements to allow the flow of traffic through Canada. 
As you know, Canada is very dependent on Six Freedom traffic over Toronto and Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal into international destinations. And without the support of the government to open up the U.S. border and other borders, it makes it very difficult for the Canadian aviation industry to be successful. As an international carrier operating into Canada, we obviously are looking for those visa restrictions to be lifted so that we can repatriate Canadians, we can move international passengers into Canada and beyond. From that perspective, what we want is a consistent approach from governments in terms of how we move passengers, notwithstanding the fact that we understand as an industry, we need to transport people to their final destination and find a mechanism so that we're comfortable that we are not transporting people with COVID and exposing our employees as well as our passengers to infected other passengers. And again, there's lots of infrastructure being put in place. A great example is here in Abu Dhabi. The airport authority here is a thought leader around the world in terms of the investments they're making to flow passengers through the airport in a timely manner with touchless travel experience and being able to screen using cameras in terms of looking at heat and temperature, heart rate, and being able to create that first screen, but do it in a way that we can move passengers through the airport in an efficient manner. I understand from an industry perspective why you need the borders open. I also think from a public health perspective, it is a quite a scary idea to think about how are we going to be able to make sure that we're not importing COVID along with the people and the dollars that we want to see. We put in policies and structure. We put in infrastructure to screen passengers as they're coming through the airport. And we have mechanisms in place to repatriate passengers who do have signs of COVID. And again, it is not a airline only issue. It is the entire industry's issue. So the entire travel and tourism sector's issue, as well as corporations relative to how corporations deal with duty of care and making sure that their employees are fit to travel. We as airlines need to create a safe environment for our employees to work in, for our passengers to travel in. And obviously we're doing that. And if you look at the investment here in Abu Dhabi with Etihad, as we've had our aircraft sitting on the ground, we've used up to 140,000 man hours to refurbish our aircraft, to make sure that our aircraft are sanitized, to make sure that we have the infrastructure in place to screen passengers and create a work environment for our employees that's safe. We have launched a wellness initiative here where we have wellness ambassadors on board the aircraft. We also have wellness ambassadors at the airport and we have wellness ambassadors in our call centers. That whole experience of being able to explain what the requirements are, what we expect of passengers when they arrive to the airport, there is a huge amount of dependency on consumers and guests to travel when they're healthy and to regulate their own health. There's no test or a screening effort that is 100% going to guarantee that someone won't get on an aircraft that does have COVID. We as the airline and the airport authorities are working together to make sure that we limit and ensure that we have an environment that people can travel in a safe manner. If you think about the aircraft itself, the reality is we have HEPA filters on board our fleet. We have one of the youngest fleets in the world. As we process air through the aircraft, it processes every three minutes and it's cleaning the air and removing particles and viruses. 99.9% of those by these HEPA filters. We're making huge investment to make sure that our crews have masks and gloves, that we limit the amount of exposure between our crew and passengers, that we're consistently changing gloves and masks during the operation with a focus on ensuring that our employees have a safe work environment and our passengers have a safe transportation option to get them to where they're going. 
Although safety measures are so important to help build that confidence and trust, getting that trust back and building that trust is going to be so important to get people back on the airlines. What do you think it's going to take? I think it's an investment from government, from the tourism sector, from airlines, from hotels, from car rental companies, and even working with our corporate customers who want to get their people back to business and back into the office, getting back to business as usual as soon as possible. This is really going to be about trust, and it's going to be about making sure that passengers feel confident that we've made the investment to create a safe environment for them to travel, that other passengers are taking the COVID virus responsibility seriously, wearing a mask, wearing gloves, ensuring that social distancing is taken responsibly. There's a huge requirement for the passenger as well as the organizations who are providing the services. Even if you think about getting to the airport, you want to make sure that those cars and limos are sanitized after every trip, that there's a barrier between the driver and the passenger, and that once they're at the airport, that there is a good touchless experience for passengers to get through the airport in a timely manner. If you think of social distancing, think of Pearson Airport. We had five or six 777s departing at the same time, and we had to have two or three meters between every single passenger as they're boarding the aircraft. The physical assets of the Toronto Airport aren't big enough to be able to create that kind of space. We'd have people down the 401 lined up to board an aircraft based on traditional volume that goes through Pearson. We need to find a way for us to ensure that the passenger feels confident and safe and that the airlines have made the investment, the airports have made the investment to ensure a sanitized, clean, safe experience. Do you think that all of these safety concerns are going to trump price? You were the head of our low-cost carrier for a while. That was a big part of being able to connect into the world is you could get there at a reasonable rate. What is the trade-off going to be? Real estate, I think, is the answer to that question. And so space is the answer to that question. What will be important is people feel like they have physical space between them and other passengers who they don't know. There will be an exchange for price or more appetite to pay more in order to have that space. I do expect that there will be a growth in demand for premium economy. I do think there'll be a growth for demand in business class and first class, depending if the carrier have those options. And I think that customers will worry less about price and more about safety. And I think that's a short-term reality. If you think of the experience that we had after 9-11, that we had after SARS, consumers have short memories for all intents and purposes. We changed the way we travel after 9-11. Just to remember the first time you tried to take coffee through security and you just purchased it and you couldn't take it through and how upsetting that was for you. Well, we're in a different world now. We all came to the conclusion that, yeah, we can't take coffee through the security. We can't take a bottle of water through security, that our liquids have to meet the requirements of the security. This is no different. We will get to a point where health passports or health checks will be part of travel going forward. It's a new reality that we have to accommodate and we have to accept as travelers. If we want to travel, it's just one of those things that we're going to have to go through. What the important thing for carriers and airports is to reduce the inconvenience associated with that. Let's make sure that our policies are clear, that the requirements are clear, that they don't change every 24 hours. For a global airline with the kind of reach that we have, both with our own network and our code share partners, we have to think about literally hundreds and hundreds of destinations and the requirements of all those destinations. And if we have people transiting our network, we have to think about a passenger going from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Oman, Jordan, and what are the requirements in all of those touch points? 
and to make sure that that passenger can depart Telsa and enter Oman. These are all things that we have to take into consideration as a carrier. But as a passenger, it's going to be important for us to change our mindset. Travel has changed in order for your own safety, the safety of our crew, and the safety of the passengers around you. We have to take responsibility about our own health, make decisions that are the right decisions to ensure that not only you're safe, your family's safe, but so are the passengers and the crew that you're going to be coming in contact with. What about the quarantine side of it? Many people would have a two-week window for a holiday. And if you've got a two-week window for a quarantine before you could have a holiday, how does that play into the business? It's very dilutive, as you can imagine. It's destimulative. The fact is, to your point, most people don't have six weeks of holiday in a year, especially North Americans. The fact is that if we're going to go on vacation, we don't want to sit in a hotel room for two weeks before we can see the beach for an hour and then have to get on an airplane and fly back to our home country and then be exposed to another two weeks of quarantine. And that's the case right now. In a lot of countries, if you want to go on holiday, you're going to be subject to a two-week quarantine on arrival. And you'll have to give your phone number. You'll have to download apps in a lot of countries that can track your presence and where you are and your movement. And so you have to be willing to do that. A lot of people just won't have the time, the physical time in terms of their vacation, nor will they have the patience to sit in a hotel room for two weeks and then enjoy their vacation. And again, upon arrival, having to sit and work from home for another two weeks and not being able to leave your apartment. Those are very restrictive, destimulative relative to tourism. But right now, I think that in some markets, it's really necessary. The fact is, we want to play our part as an industry in ensuring that we're not exposing the world, our employees, our customers, our partners to COVID by just letting anyone on board our aircraft. We have a role to play as an airline industry. We know that. Uh, And as a tourism industry, we know that. One of the things that has happened in Canada is we've had recently a change from there was that space built in in the middle seat between the passengers, and then that was eliminated. And this whole idea of social distancing, you talk about it in the airports, but how do you keep six feet from people in an airplane? Well, the reality is you don't. An airplane is obviously a fixed wing asset that only has so much space. The reality is we are going to rely on the capability of the HEPA filters the cleanliness of the air, the responsibility of ensuring that our passengers wear masks, that our crews are wearing PPE equipment, they're wearing masks and shields, and that we limit the amount of interaction between our crew and passengers. And that's a way that we can responsibly try to mitigate the exposure or the passage of COVID on board the aircraft itself. We're doing screening with the airport authorities. We're asking people to provide COVID tests before they get on the aircraft. If you think of the policy here in the UAE, particularly here in Abu Dhabi, you need to have a COVID test before you leave the airport or before you can get back into the city of Abu Dhabi. It's really about all of us taking responsibility for managing our health and not exposing others to COVID. If you don't feel well and you show signs of COVID, don't fly. I know that sounds intuitively obvious, but clearly that's not the case. And we need to remind people that it is important for them to take responsibility for their health and other people's health. Are there other policies that you think are going to help to provide that confidence? If you think about the pandemic itself and how this thing has evolved, it didn't happen on one day and it didn't happen across the entire world at the same time. What we have experienced is this pandemic moving from one country to another, 
different governments handling it very, very differently. You have some countries where there's absolutely no restrictions in place, and then you have other countries where there's 24-hour lockdown. In some countries, you have airports that are completely closed. You have other countries where airports are wide open and there are no restrictions. Every single country is handling this differently. Every airline is trying to accommodate and build in the compliance that is part of their overall network. And it's extremely difficult to do, especially if you're a global carrier and you have co-chair agreements and you're flying into over 300 destinations. A carrier like ours that flies into over 340 destinations with all of our co-chair and SPA agreements, we have to think about every single government regulation and every single requirement, every mitigation that is happening at every airport. And it's a very, very difficult thing to do. And I certainly applaud our operations guys who are doing a lot of this work. It really is a global industry. We may think of it as Air Canada or WestJet or the Canadian Airlines, but it's all connected. Of course. Think of Air Canada. Air Canada is a global carrier. They have incredible reach. They have one of the broadest networks of airlines around the world. Their passengers touch pretty much every country on the planet. If you look at their network, if you look at their co-chair agreements, we have a SPA with them. We have a frequent flyer exchange program with them. We're heavily integrated with them. We pass passengers between WestJet and ourselves as well. We touch the Canadian market by our operation into Toronto and obviously our operation into New York. Chicago, Washington, and LA, those passengers flow through Canada as well. All of the airlines are integrated. That means that every airline has a different policy and every airline is being managed by a different government with different mandates and different requirements. It is a very complicated process. We've talked a lot about tourism and tourist travel. A big driver of the industry is business travel. Throughout the pandemic, we've heard from business customers who, like you, said they used to be on a plane every week, that were flying to have those face-to-face meetings so that they could build their business. Now, many of the meetings are happening virtually. Do you think that this move to virtual will be permanent for businesses? I think that, like anything, you never waste good crisis. The reality is companies like Zoom and Skype and teams are improving their technology on a daily basis. Bandwidth is constantly improving. Memory is getting cheaper and cheaper. I do think that there will be some business loss to online meetings. I participated in daily calls across video, and the quality of the product is very good. We can see each other very, very well. There's no latency in our communication, and we can get a sense of each other's mood and tone. Those things are important in business meetings. Yes, I do think there will be a reduction in the number of business trips. Because people can hold team meetings very effectively using one of these online tools. But I still, at the end of the day, am a big believer that business is done in person. People will still have team meetings. They'll still have offsite meetings. I think that large deals still will require people to get on an aircraft, go to New York, go to London, go to Paris, go to Abu Dhabi, go to Dubai, Singapore, Hong Kong, in order to complete those deals. At the end of the day, people do business with people they like. People get to like people through relationships, and that doesn't happen via video conference. It's very difficult to build those kinds of relationships. I still believe there will be a significant need for business travel. I do think there will be an impact in terms of assessing whether or not you need to get on a plane versus having a video conference. I think there will reduce the number of trips that people take. Also remember that it's also a function of each corporation's level of risk and governance and their own duty of care requirements and their own 
risk profile of each employee, as well as what countries they're operating in and what countries they do business in. Each country has a different risk profile. That will be part of any decision going forward. If you're doing business in a high-risk country, whether that's for COVID or social or geosocial political issues, video conference becomes a very real option. You don't need to get on an aircraft and go into a high-risk area. You can accomplish a lot on a video call. Maybe we will see a reduction in the number of flights business travelers take per year. But again, at the end of the day, I still believe that it is an important part of doing business. I think you've got a huge mix of business people who are, on one hand, appreciating the pause, but I think also, like you, desperate to get on a plane and go and visit those customers and get those relationships established. We operate in many countries around the world. I have teams all over the world. I'm looking forward to spending time with them and spending time with our customers, spending time with our partners, whether they're airport authorities, tourism boards, government entities, corporate customers. There's really no replacement, in my view, of being able to have those meetings, establish relationships, understand what the needs of our customers are, reinforce the type of culture that we want in each of our companies. Culture and employee experience is a big part of this as well. Airlines are used to dealing with absentee workforces, and they're used to managing absentee workforces, which are pilots and crew. In a lot of cases, they don't have an office to go to. They operate on an aircraft. And a lot of times, they don't operate with the same crew for months at a time, or two pilots don't fly the same aircraft. It literally could be three, four months, depending on their schedules. Same is true for cabin crew. And managing those types of workforces is very difficult. Airlines have been doing it for over 100 years. Whereas now other companies who are used to having their employees sitting across the table or outside their office are trying to manage people working from home. And that's a very different experience as an employee. The other part that is important is from a culture perspective. I'm a big believer in culture, Trump strategy all day long. And if you have the right culture in an organization and you have people bought in to what it is you're trying to accomplish, that comes from interaction, that comes from communication, that comes from team building. Very difficult to build a very strong culture when you only see your employee once every three months. Duncan, you've done such a good job of presenting the initiatives, the various pieces that the airline industry is doing to create that trust, to create that safety. But also, I think you've been frank about some of the challenges in terms of managing through this pandemic. What are you optimistic about as it relates to the future of the airlines industry? Well, a few things. And again, I'll go back to we're nomadic um, and you know, people want to fly. People want to experience culture. People want to experience tourism assets. And I think that over and over again, we hear about younger generations wanting experiences rather than assets. I don't think that changes because of a pandemic. I think that the first group to get back on an airplane is going to be leisure. I'll use myself as an example. I want to get on a plane and go see my daughter. And that's not a business trip. That's a personal trip. And that's a leisure trip. My opportunity to spend time with her has obviously been limited since the COVID experience. But those are the types of trips that demand will never go away. We all want to go and hug our parents and we all want to go and see our kids graduate. We all want to go watch a sporting event or we all want to go and experience Machu Picchu and see the Eiffel Tower, Big Ben and Ferrari World here in Abu Dhabi. The fact is there are amazing tourism assets. There are amazing things around this world that we all want to see. That doesn't change. And so I think that demand will remain. I think it's pent up. We did a survey the other day in Asia and Australia, and we asked 77 corporations about their propensity to travel. All of them want to travel. All of them see the importance of travel. It's the timing is the issue. 
We've done a number of surveys over the last few months. We get a fairly consistent result that there's a lot of optimism of corporate travel in the first quarter of 2021. Airlines are trying to forecast and work with different companies, consulting firms, universities to try and forecast when will travel come back. If you use SARS as your basis of analysis, that would have told us that we would have been back in the air in December based on the SARS experience. I think it would be incredibly irresponsible of us as an airline, as a tourism industry, to really make that bet that everyone will be back in the air by December. I think that's completely unrealistic. However, we are starting to see demand. We are growing our fleet and our network again. We have had very, very successful operations in terms of many freighters that we're operating today, where we're repatriating people back into their home countries. And again, that's all being driven by government policy, which really restricts demand. If the world opened up tomorrow, my belief is there's a tremendous amount of pent-up demand for people who have been sitting at home talking to their cat for the last three months. As much as we all enjoy our pets, I think we all want to experience the Eiffel Tower and Ferrari World and beaches and go for a walk on a beach or experience food that we all want to try and wines and all of those great things about travel, sharing moments with friends and family. Those are all things that will drive us back to airplanes and back on board aircraft. I have enormous confidence that that will happen. And then post that, I think it's important for business to get back to work. The reality is the global economy needs airplanes. They need people to be on airplanes. There will be a certain level of confidence that's built over time as people start to see others traveling, that load factors start to improve, that aircraft are starting to get back in the air, governments are starting to open up and ease restrictions. That all provides confidence. As that momentum continues, I'm a big believer that the aviation industry will survive. We here at Etihad believe that we'll be one of the surviving airlines. We have a great network. We have a great product. We have a great tourism partners here. We have a very, very strong partnership network as well. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. And thanks for inviting Etihad. We uh, certainly appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. And again, we're extremely eager to welcome people back on board our aircraft. And we're looking forward to getting our airplanes off the ground and in the air and driving the global economy and experiences of tourism. From all 20,000 of us at Etihad, we certainly are looking forward to that. We are too. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You've been listening to Bright Future by the Conference Board of Canada. This series is produced by Jen DeHamel. Nancy Nguyen is our audio engineer and Andy Joy is our writer. Ideas were contributed by Rob Collins and Aaron Brophy. I'm Michael Bassett and I'm the host and executive producer for this series. The views expressed by our guests are theirs alone and do not reflect the Conference Board's opinion. For more podcasts, videos, commentary and ideas, visit conferenceboard.ca.